Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Matt. I am the uh, campus pastor here in Halstead. Just a joy and honor to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in Palm Sunday. For those of you who know what that is, this is the Sunday in which Jesus made his uh, entry into Jerusalem with a donkey and palm branches. And it was what everybody thought was going to be where he led his way in to set up a kingdom and something very different happened. And that's what we are celebrating this weekend uh, or this week as we lead up to Easter. I mean, this Sunday is remembering and reflecting on how different the narrative went, but how much better the story is um, because of what Jesus did on Easter. So uh, we are in our last week of Mark, and we're going to be looking at um, our, our final conversation about what it means to be marked by Jesus. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks, we've been talking about what does it look like to have uh, some identifiers on your life that declare that you are uh, a, a person or a follower of Jesus. And we looked through some, some great things. I encourage you to, to listen in on those through the podcast app or our website uh, and catch up on those conversations. But if you're here and you're not a believer, uh, awesome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, today's going to be a great conversation for you to listen in on and, and really learn and see what it means to, to genuinely follow Jesus and to be marked uh, by Jesus. And so though today is Palm Sunday, we're actually not going to be talking about Palm Sunday. We're going to skip ahead to Thursday and talk about what happened on Thursday. See, Thursday of Holy Week was the evening where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. It was the last time he knew he was going to gather around with the 12 people that were closest to him. And these were the 12 guys that knew him. They knew him. He knew them. They, they were on a first-name basis. Everywhere he went, they went. Um, everything he said, they heard. They were in everything about Jesus' life. And not everybody got this privilege. Not everybody got to be one of the close disciples of Jesus on earth. He picked 12. And these 12, he said, I'm going to teach you everything I know, and then you're going to go carry on the mission. And so Thursday is where Jesus has his last meal with them. But before we get any farther into the events, I want to make a... Um, observation that I know is true of your life and is true of my life, you create the greatest and deepest uh, moments around the tables, do you not? Sitting around meals with people, having conversations, it's where families are built. It's where you teach your kids who you are. It's where you invite people into your life and they get a window into who you actually are. That's not a public perception. It's at the dinner table. You see, we could say it this way, the more you gather with someone, the more you're marked by someone. The more you gather with someone, and specifically around intimate places of meals, the more you're marked by someone. So some of you have that terrible habit that your parent had at the, meal ta- at the dinner table about how you eat or how you chew, and maybe it drives your spouse crazy, right? You, you, you gathered that from somebody, or you were marked by that by somebody you gathered a lot with. And so in our culture, meals are incredibly important, and they were incredibly important back in Jesus's day. And so uh, your social interactions probably go something along the lines of you meet someone for the first time, say, hey, nice to meet you. And if they uh, didn't have bad breath and you felt like having a conversation with them, you said, hey, let's grab some coffee time, sometime, all right? And maybe you went to breakfast. But maybe if you're a little bit more interested in that person, you probably went to lunch. See, but we reserve the dinner tables in our homes for intimate private conversations, Not everybody necessarily sits at your dinner table. Strangers off the street don't always sit at your dinner table. At your dinner table is where you have invited someone into your space to know you, to see you, to understand you, to be a part of your life. It's an intimate setting in which you get to experience relationship. See, but what happens when somebody you've invited into that space in your life turns out to be different than what you thought they were? What happens when you find the truth out about someone? What happens when you thought somebody was one thing and they turned out to be another thing? What happens when, when the spouse who promised to be something turned out to be something entirely different? 
What happens when the business partner who promised to have your back turned out to, to not have your back at all? What happens when the church leader, who everybody thought was one thing, really the truth comes out and something else is discovered about them? You see, we live in a, a culture where we have all of these facades and presentations, and when the truth comes out about somebody, we are staggered. We don't know what to do. I think often we have four, four typical responses. The first one is that you just create some distance. You hear about that person, you hear what they did, you hear what they're like, and you just start to back away. Man, Thursday, I think I have something coming up on Thursday. I'm not going to be able to make dinner. I'm just, Wednesday lunch, ooh, I think I'm going to have a flat tire, right? Like You just start to create some distance because you've realized some things about them that you just go, I don't want to be near you because you're not who I thought you were. So we create some distance, socially, physically, whatever it is. The other thing you do is you disassociate. So not, not only do you create some distance, you begin to say, George who? I don't know George. Oh, we never dated. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we don't speak my ex's name in the room. Right? What is that? That's a disassociation. You're not who I thought you were. Therefore, I don't know you. Your phone rings. Hmm, must be spam. <laughs> Sorry, George. Right? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? There's some people that you know some things about them now, and you don't hang out with them. You don't talk to them. This happens in church all the time. Oh, we found out what they really believed. Oof. We found out how they talked to their kids. We don't hang around them anymore. The new one is shaming. You find out what's true about somebody and you start to throw shame on them. See, it's not enough just to distance and disassociate. Now you have to do some damage. So you begin to say things and slur and, and did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they did, right? I had dinner with them the other day and they yelled at their kids. My goodness. Such heathens, right? What is that? It's not enough that there's distance. Now I want everybody else to know that there's some truth about you that they should find out. Now, we, I'm calling it shaming, but you call it gossip. Excuse me, you don't call it gossip. You call it having conversations for prayer requests. <laughs> what is that? Hey, there's some truth about this person that I think if you knew it would change the way you saw them. We're trying to shift perspective because there's truth that we know. The last one, and this is probably the most popular, is just straight outrage. I can't believe it. Did you hear what they did? What is this? This is cancel culture, in which we yet again cancel a politician, cancel a church leader, cancel a spouse, cancel a friend, cancel a church membership. I want nothing to do with you. I'm so angry at you, and so I'm going to go on a tear on social media or in my friend circles. Just canceled. Done. You have no respect. Is that not how we handle when we find the truth about people one of those four ways? But I want to bring this home to you. What if somebody found out the truth about you? What if somebody found the truth out about you? What if somebody knew your deepest, darkest secrets? They knew every inner thought, every inner heart, every heart motive. and They had the power. And they held everything you've been trying to hide for years. It's the things you don't even want to talk about. It's the things you don't even want to admit are in there. What if somebody had that power in your life? See, some of us spend all of our energy trying to hide those very things. See, and that's what was at stake this evening. That's, that's what was at stake Thursday night. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to John chapter 13. We're going to read about the stakes of that evening. John chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Jesus knew before the Passover festival, or it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave 
this world and go to the Father. You see, this Thursday night wasn't just an average Thursday meal. It was the meal of Passover, which they've been told as Jews to celebrate for over a thousand years. And what they did at this meal was remember how God came and delivered the ancient nation of Israel from their enslaver and oppressor Egypt. God used Moses and the ten plagues to set them free. And ultimately, the last one was that the Passover lamb uh, was to be killed and sacrificed. And blood was put on the post to um, mark those who were marked by God so they wouldn't be killed. And so this is the meal that they're having. And as they're gathering around this special moment of reflection, Jesus begins to do something in this meal that was incredible. He began to say, you know that, that Passover lamb that we talked about thousands of years ago? There's a new one. There's a new Passover lamb. It's not some lamb that, that makes noise. It's the lamb of God. And he begins to have this conversation with his disciples uh, around the dinner table, how, how God delivered then. He's going to deliver again. He's going to do something again to deliver people, but it won't be from Egypt. It'll be from something so much more. So he, here's how the, the evening goes. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love how this passage puts it. He loved his people to the very end. He knew his hour was coming. He knew he was about to die. And so he's spending intimate time with the people that he had poured his life into. And he loved him to the end. And I just have to go, what does that mean? What does it mean to love your disciples until the end? Well, let, let's let the passage explain it for us. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, see here's what's happening. They sit down at this meal, and Jesus has a cross from him, Judas. And when he sits across from Judas, Jesus already knew what Judas was about to do. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew he was going to sell him out. And ultimately, several minutes later into this conversation, Judas gets up, leaves, and goes and sells Jesus out to the Roman authorities, which ultimately leads to his, his uh, arrest, his beatings, and ultimately his crucifixion and his death. See, but Jesus sat across from Judas and still prepared a place for Judas to sit at the table. It's wild. What do you do when you discover a Judas in your life? Somebody who's about to betray you, somebody who's about to stab you in the back, somebody who's talking bad about you or shaming you, what do you do? You send it right back. You certainly don't invite them to Thursday family dinner. You certainly don't prepare a place for them to eat. And yet here's Jesus doing this very thing. What I find so fascinating is the next verse. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What does that mean? It means that at any point, Jesus had the power to hit the eject button on Judas and say, see you later. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're about to do. I see who you really are, not who you, everybody thinks you are. I see who you really are. Get out of here. Strike you with lightning. Done. You see, he had all that power. See, Jesus already knew Judas's sin. Jesus already knew Judas's sin. And yet there was a seat at the table for him. But it's so much worse, because it wasn't just Judas. Next to him was these two brothers, James and John, who earlier in their conversation in the week uh, were walking with Jesus and said, Jesus, hey, you know the whole kingdom thing you're about to set up? Can you make us pretty important? Like, we want to be at the right and the left. Make us really, really important. And Jesus looks at them and says, essentially, you're so arrogant. Have you missed everything that we have talked about? Have you not realized that this is not about power? This is about service? 
So here he has a guy who's about to betray him, and here he has two brothers who have missed everything he said for the last three years. Then you got Thomas. Thomas walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He heard all of the things about Jesus. And what happened when Jesus died? He didn't believe. He didn't understand. He said, you know what? I don't believe really that um, he came and went. I need to see it with my own eyes. Even though his brothers had seen Jesus, he said, no, I need to see it. See, if you have a hard time believing in an invisible God, so did, so did Thomas. And it wasn't until he saw Jesus, he still didn't believe. It wasn't until he put his hands in his fingers that he realized and believed. You see, not only did Jesus know their motives, but he knew Thomas's doubt. He knew Thomas's doubt when he invited him to the table. He knew exactly where he was. And then there's Peter. Good old Peter. Just the whole time saying, Jesus, I'm in. There's a bunch of scrubs around this table, and I'm not one of them. They're gonna, whatever they're going to do, I'm in, Jesus. Forget them. I'm devoted. And Jesus looks at him at this very table and says, I know you're going to betray me. I know you're going to deny me. In fact, you're not going to do it once, not twice, but three times. See, Jesus knew Peter's fear. Peter was afraid to, to walk to the cross. He knew that. And yet here he is, seated at the table. And then there's the rest of the disciples. We don't really know much of what happened other than they all ran away and hid for their life. Why? Because even the 12 closest to him lacked the faith to believe that what he was going to do was actually going to happen. They did. They ran away because of their lack of faith. And here's the thing that blows my mind. Jesus knew all of this. He knew every single thing about all of them. And yet, what did he do? He spent his final hours in an intimate setting speaking truth and love and life to them. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he could do whatever he wanted, and here's what he chose, chose to do. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus doesn't get up and disassociate. He doesn't get up and yell at them and say, Ha ha, I got you. I knew you were fakes. He gets up and he takes off his outer garment and he does something that he shouldn't do. He gets down and he begins to wash their feet, which culturally was far below what he was allowed to do. This was reserved for uh, not Jewish men, and that's a cultural thing that Jesus actually was the one who kind of changed that whole model. And so he's making everybody uncomfortable right now by getting down and washing their feet. No one likes what Jesus is doing right now. And in fact, he goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, you're not touching my feet. <laughs> you're not, that's not for you. Don't touch my feet. What is he saying? It's not for you to touch my mess and my dirt, Jesus. That's beneath you. It's not for you to know my stink. That's somebody else. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, unless I wash you, you've got no hope. See, but he gets down and serves. What he was doing is he was showing them that love wasn't a decision. Love's a covenant. And a covenant says that we're going to have this agreement, but whether you hold your end of the deal up or not, I'm holding mine up. Whether you hold up your end of the bargain has no impact on how I treat you. I'm going to treat you with the love that I agreed to regardless of what you give me back. See, he was teaching them about true love, covenantal love, because covenantal love sees who you are and sticks around anyway. You know, Jesus saw who you are and he stuck around anyway. He saw everything there was about you, everything to know. And what did he do? He stuck around with you. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know what you've thought. I know what you've been trying to hide. And he stuck around. 
but so much more than sticking around. He went way further. Turn over with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. Let's read about what he does after he washes their feet. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So Jesus, sitting at this meal, takes the bread, and he looks at Judas. He says, Judas, I know who you really are, and I know what you're about to do. The sacrifice is for you. James and John, I know your motives are impure at the moment. Here's my sacrifice for you. Thomas, I know you're doubting me. I know who you really are. I know what you're thinking. This is my body for you. Peter, I know you're going to deny me, and I know you're full of fear. But this is for you. My body surrendered for you. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he takes the cup and he says, guys, there's some things you need to realize about your sin. And you've tried hard through works to defeat them. But I'm here to tell you there's a new covenant. Which regardless of what you come with, there's blood that's been poured out to cover that. And he passes the cup to each guy that he knew was about to turn his back on him. And said, this is for you. What's amazing to me about this table isn't the fact that these guys were known and still invited. It's the fact that there's another seat at the table. And that Jesus, through his love, has said to you, you're invited. You're invited to this table. You, with everything you've done, with everywhere you've been, with everything you've thought, with all of the doubt, with all of the fear, with all the frustration, with all of the things you said in private, come. Come sit. Come know Jesus in an intimate way. Come have relationship with the Father. See, you're invited. And, and here's the thing about this table. To be at this table means you're marked by Jesus. It means you're not marked by anything else. You're marked by Jesus. And here's what it means to be marked by Jesus. It means that you are fully known, fully loved, and fully forgiven. Fully known. Do you know how much of your energy you spend in relationships trying to get people to accept you for who you are? How much energy you spend trying to manufacture a new presence that somebody might not know who you are, but you really deeply want to be known? See, to be marked by Jesus says that I know everything you've done and everywhere you've been already. And you can't fully love somebody without fully knowing them, can you? You can love some of them, but to know everything and still choose love, only Jesus can really teach us that. But not only did he love us, he didn't invite us to the table and leave us there. What did he do? He forgave everything before we even got to the table and then sat there with an open chair and said, come. Come no freedom. Come no life and life abundant. See, here's the thing about this table. There's no room for shame here. There's no room for guilt. There's no room for sin. There's no room for fear. Why? Because Jesus has cast all of that out. Jesus has paid the price. He's invited you to sit here free of charge. No, that's love. And that's the love I think we all need. So we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit, but I want to ask you a question this morning. Could you, could you genuinely say that you're marked by Jesus? We have these stickers on, on the chairs, and they, they simply say marked by Jesus, and we put them here because I want you to ask the question, can you genuinely say that you're marked by Jesus? 
What that means is to be fully known by God, that there's no secrets anymore, that you've received his full love and that the full forgiveness of the cross has pardoned you. If you're here today and you can't say with confidence that you can put this on, man, today's the day. I don't know what you're waiting for because if you're afraid that Jesus is going to find out something about you when you confess, listen, he already knows. And most of us probably already do too. But we don't want to admit that. But when you do, there's such freedom. And you, you get this freedom not because you paid any price, but because Jesus paid your entrance fee. And it wasn't just an entrance fee to sit at the table. It was an entrance into a relationship with God that will change everything about your life. Jesus invited you to know the Father. And the only way you know the Father is through the Son. Maybe you're here today and you, you'd say that you put this on. But if you're being totally honest, you've been living with it pretty covered up. Some choices you've made, some places you've gone. Maybe, maybe you, like Thomas, are saying, you know what? I, I believe in Jesus, but I've got some serious doubt. Let me just... Maybe you, like James and John, have, have been distracted by the shiny things of the world. And, you know, I am marked by Jesus, but I've, I've, I've been at the table lately because I've been, been off chasing some things. Maybe like Judas, you, you've put your hands in some sin and, and you just feel ashamed to come back to the table. Maybe like Peter, fear has gotten the best of you in this season and you haven't been communing with God in the way that he's called you to. And today's the day you come back to the table of grace. You didn't get here because you earned it. You got here because you were invited. And the beautiful thing about this table is God invites us back. When we've gone wayward, when we've gone astray, he invites us back because his love has already covered wherever you've been. I want to invite any of you in this room who have never placed your faith in Jesus to, to do that today. I'll tell you what, it's so much better to be marked by love than to be marked by what you hate. Some of you feel marked by the choices you've made. You feel marked by the shame inside of your heart. You feel marked by the wounds in your past, and you don't have to. You get to be marked by love, by, by belonging, and by freedom. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. This table is overwhelming as I consider what it means to, to be in relationship with you. And if you're here today and, and you say, you know what, Matt, I've, I've never committed my life to Jesus and I've never accepted his love, and I want to today, I, I would invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. And it says, Jesus, I've gone astray. I've been marked by sin and I've been marked by pain. But today, Jesus, I come clean. I repent of my sin and, and I truly want your love and your grace in your mercy. Jesus, today I surrender my life to you and accept you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you, Jesus, and I follow you. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if you're here and you would say, you know what, today I prayed that prayer, I, I would ask you to be so bold as to raise your hand and let us know that today is the day you decided to be marked by Jesus. Nobody's looking around, nobody's, nobody's poking. If today you say, you know what, Today's the day I need to really surrender and follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Jesus, we come to you, and, and there's some of us in here who would say we've been marked, but, but frankly, we've, we've gotten into some stuff that's made us ashamed to come to the table. And today, Father, we repent. 
we acknowledge that there's been places we've gone that maybe we're ashamed of or things we've said or done. And Jesus, we repent and we come back to the table and we rejoice that you have forgiven us and that you have already paid the price for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And thanks for loving us with a love that we can't even begin to understand, God. And I pray that we would understand it in a new way today. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and, and you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus, what, what an amazing day for you. I want to celebrate with you. And if you today can say, you know, when I am marked by Jesus, I have surrendered my life to Jesus, we want to partake of communion together. Jesus at this meal said, hey, you're going to do this often. You're going to do this in remembrance of me. And the remembrance wasn't of the bread and the cup. The remembrance was of the invitation. The invitation that someone paid your penalty, that you might be free, that you might know life and life abundant. And I think God knew a little bit about us, that we would so often forget the open invitation. We would so often allow sin to distract us and things to pull us away. And he invited us to consistently remember this, that we might always remember our place at the table with Jesus. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you as a new covenant that you might know freedom and life and life abundant. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We celebrate your life. Thanks for giving us new life. In Jesus' name, amen.